I'm now one of the career coaches on the Prosper project, which is a UKRI funded project to unlock postdoc potential. So this is like my all time favorite niche postdoc. There's so much going on at that time. And that, as you said, it's often that conveyor belt decision point. And if you don't make it as an academic, there's that element of, have, am I a failed academic if I step off this, this pipeline as well? And so there's a, there's a lot going on and I'm really enjoying working with those postdocs as well. Science. Science. Technology. Technology. Medicine. Medicine. Health. Health. These four things make the world go round. Without them, we couldn't exist. This is the Monday Science Podcast, a weekly show bringing you the latest research and news in science, technology, medicine, and health, answering your questions or finding experts in the field to answer them. Your host is a pharmacist, an award-winning scientist. She leads her own research group and is the founder of King's College London Fight the Fakes, a tad bit on the qualified side. Welcome to Monday Science. Here's your host, Dr. Bahija Rimi Abraham.
on today's Monday Science episode, we have Dr. Hannah Roberts. Hannah, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Very excited. I'm equally excited as well. Before we get to find out a little bit more about yourself, do you have a favourite song at the moment? And if so, please tell us what it is. Do you know, my I have a three-year-old daughter and she sings on the back of the bike. And every single morning I get two renditions. I get, let it go, let it go. The top of her voice cycling down the road. And I also get Mary Had a Little Lamb. And at the moment, yes, they're the only two songs that are resonating in my brain. A couple of things. Firstly, thank you for Let It Go is actually one of my favourite songs. In moments of despair, I just randomly start singing it out loud, regardless of where I am. So thank you for that. You're also the first (laughs) guest to actually sing their (laughs) favourites or their song of the moment. So this is going to go down in history. I, I, the Mary, it was it Mary Had a Little Lamb. That's the second song. Yeah. So it's just like a yeah, remix. So. But- it's a remix. And she's also got like, the Northern accent running through it as well. So she goes, little, little. So it's <laughs> just like the whole time. That is so cute. Well, thank you for that. That was brilliant. <laughs> and then the second question, I'm going to, I'm intrigued as what options you'll give us here. The second question is, do you have any book or film recommendations for the, our listeners? I do. So I've been reading what's called the Boudicca series at the moment. And it's a series of three books. And it's really hard to describe, actually. But it's it's a lot about intuition and dreaming and a story about how tribes might have worked together in the past and their... Uh, it's really hard to describe, but I'm really enjoying the three book series. I'm on the second book at the moment. So I read the first one when we're away in the Isle of Mull, because we're allowed to travel now. So we went to the whole sunny Isle of Scotland. One of the reasons you're here is because of your amazing career background and history, starting off in chemistry. Let's start off with if you could just tell us a little bit about you. So yes, I have a degree, master's, PhD and postdoc in chemistry. I spent eight years managing large multi-million pound projects between academia and industry and commercializing that research. And as part of one of those commercialization projects, I started a spin-out company with three other female academics and I was managing director of that company for two years. And I did that phase of my life while also having three children. So it was on my third mat leave when I decided to retrain to be a coach and a professional skills trainer get into that it was maybe like a mid-30s crisis and I've been doing that in my own business for the last three three years oh I can't hear you right I muted myself in the excitement because uh, when I I think I reached out to you on uh, Twitter and you came up on one of my feeds I don't know what it was about but it's I can't remember how and I was reading up about you and I was like yeah needed right now for me personally when you talked about mid-30 careers I was like hmm does she read minds? You know, you've done a lot and it's amazing. And, and what I, I like a lot about your your career so far is the intersection between academia, industry, and the fact that you've also been able to be involved in innovation. How was that? How was that? Like, how did you go from sort of that, your research and being able to spin out the company and what were the initial challenges, if any, and joys that you faced with that? Not a longer story, but it, it needs some context, I think. So as, I mean, you can look at all the statistics, but when I started my degree, 43% of the intake were women. And then I went through, you know, the usual pathway. I did actually step outside of academia. I missed that part out, but I did a graduate development program, a whole heap of other stuff before coming back to do my PhD. So I took a few years. I don't know what I want to do. 
But by the time I got to the final year of my PhD, I had just got married. I was thinking about starting a family. I did kind of a mental two steps forward, what's going on. And in a department of 200, I found that there were only five women. And of those five women, I only saw two with young family, or maybe three. And I started to think, is this even possible for me? I ended up getting recommended for a postdoc. And two weeks into that first postdoc, a 12-month contract, I fell pregnant. And it really left me feeling I need to kind of push to prove myself so I'll have a job to come back. So I worked really hard. And when I came back after my second mat, there is this, I didn't ever go back in the lab once I come off mat leave. So I started to do scientific project management. And within that, there's always, when you're managing projects that are not just a single person, when it's multidisciplinary, and you might have project partners in Europe or like multi-center project partners, usually you have to have an exploitation plan. And sometimes it's written in with a grant and you can foresee what's going to happen, like a licensing agreement. So in another project we did, we actually had project partners who were going to license the technology. But in this particular case, the first one that I did, we decided, okay, we've, we've got some new techniques to me measure the size and shape of biomolecules using mass spectrometry. And we decided we could run it as a service for other people. So at first we wanted to run it just as a service within the university. But they weren't that forthcoming in terms of not sure about that. So we decided that we would spin it out as a thing. It was very much a organic process. It wasn't like one day you don't have a company, the next day you have a massive building with lots of people. It's a really organic process where we start off with, I don't know, one, one contract and it was run over four days. And then you might get some repeat business and it kind of, it just grew from there a little bit. So it never felt too intense. And I, I kind of shied away from it for a whole year. So this was on my radar and it was like, I just, I don't feel confident enough. I'm not sure I know enough to do it. There was a whole heap of imposter syndrome going on. And, and I saw this gap where I wasn't going to have any children and I wasn't in the first throes of children. There were a couple of years old by then. And I thought, if I'm going to do it, this is like, this is now. So I kind of took the opportunity between children to do something where I knew I could commit to it for a full 12 months and see how it goes, really. That's really amazing. I'm just thinking back to my own postdoc experience. And, you know, you see a lot of women at PhD postdoc level, and then the number thins out as you get at each level. And it's hard to then think that there's a place for you in trajectory in that career if you can't identify sort of enough role models there and you know that there's almost a, a thinning down or a skimming down and it can be quite difficult and also when you talk about that you're with your spin out it's very interesting what universities are interested in when it comes to what they class or determine as business and innovation and I just find that quite fascinating just even personal experiences <laughs> myself you mentioned your co your co-founders were also female as well were they also mothers or what did that bring you all together as well yeah um it so there was four co-founders and between us I think we had nine children at the time yeah and I guess I wasn't the academic brains behind this at all I was there on more of the business capacity but they are three collaborators that we worked with quite quite frequently and and all brought it together but I kind of bowed out of that after on my third maternity leave because I decided I kind of pushed where I wanted to go with scientific project management as far as it could be. I'd started projects, I'd done the writing of grants, I'd done the managing, I'd done the completion and the exploitation and the engagement with public as well. 
And I just kind of thought there's no nowhere else for me to go now with it. It's more of the same. So I kind of resigned from that position on my mat leave and did the whole, what, what do I do now? I mean, you were really brave. You were really brave to make that decision because I think some people carry on and are not happy, but then it's that fear of the unknown you know, what happens when you then say, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, because I, I feel the biggest, biggest challenge, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the biggest challenge is if you're not happy in a situation, and it's not necessarily that, let's say you're not happy with the job, but you just know that something isn't quite right for you in yeah. that moment. And, and the decision is, do you embrace whoever you're now becoming, these new skills, you know, the next steps, whatever that could be? Do you just stay put? And I think this is where a lot of people in academia just stay put because there's this narrative of we can't do anything else. And, you know, then there's the other thing of if one is to go, what, what are they going to do? And I'm wondering, is that what led you to career coaching? Because I find that very fascinating. I really want to spend a lot of time talking about it. In that moment when you resigned, what were your thoughts? And then how did that lead you to becoming a career coach? Well, I'm very much an anticipatory person. So I didn't uh, resign without already having a plan. But you're right. Situations like that never stay the same. So in that scientific project management time, at first, it's really exciting because it's something new. But then over time, it started to feel like it's not quite right. I feel quite stuck. And I was stuck for quite some time because I was having all of these many children. So it all felt like in terms of stability, I had to stay to do that. But all the time, the situation's getting worse and worse and worse in terms of how you feel about it. So that's the first part. The second part in terms of how did I make a decision like that? When, I, when we started the spin out, we got a lot of support from the Biohub and I started having some coaching there. I mean, it was supposed to be business coaching and there was elements of that, but there was also like personal struggles and challenges within that. And I found that coaching was so impactful for myself. It really made a huge difference to my confidence, to my thought processes, how I interacted with other people and how I felt about those interactions. I knew it was really impactful. And I did that for around 18 months and I was still paying for coaching myself during my mat leave as well. I found it really helpful. and. There was that. So there's that element of, oh, coaching is really helpful. I want to do something else. I'm really passionate about women in STEM and the, the sort of leaky pipeline, leaky pipeline, the challenges that I'd faced along the way, particularly when it came to motherhood in science. And all of the dots kind of started to fit together, especially as, oh, and I've run my own business, so I know how to do that. So looking forward, it feels like you're just taking the next and then looking back you're like of course of course I'm a career coach because of this 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 and it makes sense but looking forward it it was like a kind of everything's coming together all at the same time and I was on mat leave so I had this time I had time and space to think because I'd actually managed to hand over work for the first time ever so it kind of all coalesced at once and then I had a friend who had just taken a coaching qualification and she was talking about superwoman and I was like she's talking about me and then I checked out where she'd done her coaching qualification I thought I need to do this one for myself to understand myself more deeply but two how can I then use it to help other people who are experiencing this as I as I am I had my first first coaching experience last year I'm going to ask you to explain coaching but from my 
experience. I, I went into it very open-minded. I'd actually wanted to have coaching when I started as a lecturer, but it wasn't available to me unless I paid. And I had to do it through, the, at the time I thought, oh, I'd have to do it through the university. It was quite expensive. So I thought, okay, I'll look into this you know, later on. And I think because of COVID last year, we were given just mm-hmm. a couple of sessions. And it was very interesting because not ent- you know entering the experience without any perception let's see what happens I really feel the coach in one actually I think he's he solved a lot of things that I didn't you know a lot of hurdles in about half an hour and then I was like oh do we like this is meant to be an hour session he was like is there anything you want else you know we can still talk and I was like no you've actually helped so much in half an mm-hmm. hour versus you know something that I'd been reflect things I'd been reflecting on for like the last two three years and it was a beautiful experience so what is coaching yeah what on earth is it so just some differences between therapy and coaching so in my mind therapy is very much about looking at the past or an particular incident and really digging down and understanding the details of that feeling better about that in the here and now whereas coaching is more future focused so this is where you are now. Where is it that you want to be? And it might be helping someone to define that in the first place and then breaking it down into first action steps to move you forwards. And of course, we're going to put blocks in our own way as humans. And often they are also attached to the past incidents as well. So in coaching, we use tools and techniques to help people move beyond these blocks that we put in our way so we don't ever get stuck some for like long periods of time. So coaching for me is about having conversations that lead to transformation, doing things differently. So it's about being in action as well. But as you said, it's a very reflective process. So sometimes, I mean, as a career coach, I will also have coaching because I think it's important to live and breathe what it is that you do. And I come out sometimes and I think, what just happened to me? My brain's just gone in a very short space of time. So it's a very technical, it's a very technical sort of process as well there's a lot that goes behind it. it's not just a conversation back and forth there's a lot going on with coaching behind the scenes to sort of help unpick everything and ask the right questions that are going to unlock the whole the whole topic so so yes so I've done a lot of qualifications in coaching it's really important to me and I tend to call it career coaching but I tend to fall into two brackets of life coaching because there's a lot of decisions about life and confidence and who you are and identity. And then there's also this layer of most people I work with are coming to an inflection point, a decision point about career at the same time as all of this other stuff that's been building. So we, I also layer on top some practicalities of making next steps in terms of defining the value that you bring, the vision, purpose, mission, natural talents and values, aligning it all so that the next decision feels like you've made an informed choice. You've actually made a conscious decision about what's next, not just stood on the conveyor belt and let it unfold. And then and then on top of that, there's the way that we package and position ourselves as well. So it usually is a combination of like life and career coach. I'm now one of the career coaches on the Prosper Project, which is a UKRI funded project to unlock postdoc potential. So this is like my all-time favorite niche postdoc. There's so much going on at that time and that as you said it's often that conveyor belt decision point and if you don't make it as an academic there's that element of have am I a failed academic if I step off this 
this pipeline as well. So there's a, there's a lot going on and I'm really enjoying working with those postdocs as well. It's really interesting. I think when you've gone through the postdoc experience as well, and during my postdoc, I, I felt that there was more support for if you're doing a PhD and then, oh, you've now decided you're going to be an academic. Uh-huh. And then as a postdoc, there was, it felt in my, at the time, I just felt that we, there wasn't any sort of value or respect in the position. Then that can trickle down to you. Imposter syndrome was at an ultimate high and you just feel very, very lost. So I think it's really good that you're focusing on that demographic as well, because it's, it's such a difficult time. And sometimes you have no words <laughs> to just articulate what is going on on your LinkedIn I, I like that you have a, as your opening sentence where you say you're helping scientific women struggling with what's next to achieve purposeful career direction by restoring confidence and developing a five-year action plan I when I read that I was like yes I'm very much looking forward to speaking to this lady because restoring confidence there's so many key things there is a particular need for scientific women in general because it's hard the what next I want just to find out a little bit more by that restoring confidence I like that you already have highlighted the fact that a lot of scientific women have lost their confidence in the battle to just stand at all and uh, it would increase confidence over time but it feels like it's more an erosion of confidence over time it is it is it's yeah it's it's a challenge and then also the five-year action plan what made you put that on your is a, a very bold statement to have and I I really like it but what made you put that on your LinkedIn and and then if you could just break down those key elements that you're looking to support women in that area so this is actually something that I teach when I do online networking training for early career researchers the LinkedIn headline is so important because it's a statement it follows you around LinkedIn wherever you go so I feel like it's comprised of three different parts there's the calling out the person that you want to talk to online so they know oh she's talking about me so that's the first bit and the the challenge that they're facing or the area of research that you're working in it, it's relevant to both and researchers whether you have a cake business or you're selling honey online or whatever it's relevant then there's the what's the big impact of the work together so for me that's purposeful career direction and then the final part is it's not just about taking the next step it's about doing something that matters makes a difference and then I mean why else would we have gone into science in the first place and then the final part is the how the method how I go about doing my things so that's the restoration of confidence and it's the development of a plan but that plan has to fit the context of your whole life has to balance everything I can't just make a plan and then someone's like oh but I've got three children so that plan doesn't doesn't work it's about plan within context yeah we've just finished doing a women's health series but it was really focused on fertility and you know trying to plan for that the sort of looking at it from the IVF and all those things but something that can be a difficult conversation I feel for women in, in science can be the discussion of babies when does that when when is the perfect time what happens if you get pregnant during your PhD I I remember I had somebody who was interested in doing a PhD and they said oh but I I might get pregnant you know my my husband and I were trying and you know we might get pregnant in a couple of years would that be okay with you and I said well firstly I'm so happy that you felt comfortable to say and then secondly I don't mind (laughs) you know it's it's fine we've got lots of examples of women who have had babies throughout their PhD and it's been fine but you know there is a thing of also you have to unfortunately you have to make sure that the supervisor is supportive it's not a given unfortunately 
that a supervisor would be supportive. I'm just, you know, it, it's it's the the reality. I even remember when I started my lectureship. It was actually I hadn't started. It was just before, and a, a senior colleague you know, she sat me down and she said, I just want to say, you know, congratulations, lovely, great. And she said, I don't know what your plans are for the future, but, you know, just know there is no perfect time to have your children. Just do it. Your academic career will be fine. What are your thoughts about just this topic of the quote-unquote timing to start a family in science? (laughs) Everything comes at the same time. The biological clock, along with being on short-term contracts, a lack of security, along with this really heightened competitive phase of the career of trying to get a fellowship all at the same time. And it feels like now's not a good time, but then if we don't, it may never happen. So I had to kind of just go for it. But what they don't tell you is if if you get pregnant and you still obviously you need to have a contract extended, but the funding body pays for your replacement during that time. It doesn't cost them extra money to, to have you being pregnant and on mat leave, that's that's not an issue. The other thing is we get these really conflicting bits of advice, which is what happened to me. And I'm not blaming people. They were telling me what they thought was best at that time. But what I, some some sort of people would say to me, oh, I, I came back to work two weeks after having a baby. I was on my fellowship. I just got a nanny, that kind of thing. And then someone else said to me, oh, I wrote my fellowship in the first 12 weeks of having a baby. So I'm going from, oh, I'm just about to have coffee and cake and babies and, you know, like clapping and singing for a year. And that turned into, oh my goodness, I really have to do something with this mat leave. It has to be impactful. So I held on to all my projects. I had a really tough birth. I had a one liter hemorrhage and five days later, I'm back on email. And I was like, I need to email the project partners, get all the reports together, do the thing. Cause I had, I had this feeling that I needed to be indispensable because there was a million other people waiting to take my that's really really tough I remember attending a it was it was during my PhD women in science no 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 what was it family and science can you have both at the end of the yeah it was yeah, you can tell at the time afterwards I was like mm, I'm not sure but that narrative of being productive during your mat leave it's horrible but definitely the message that was uh, sent it was like you know you've got nine months and in those nine months you can start prepping for the grants you can start writing the papers so whilst you're whilst you're on taking your time off quote unquote taking your time off i.e looking after the child then you'll be publishing and at least you'll still be relevant and it's (laughs) so it's a very scary thought anyway suffice to say i sat there with a baby next to me trying to start a fellowship and never even got really past the first page closed that down and that was pretty much that's it i didn't go back in the lab that was the end the, the end of the end of it wow that's really that's that's really powerful and this is where coaching and just having somebody to guide you through that process to even just a sounding board I think is so important because it can be so lonely in one's career journey regardless but in particular mm-hmm. in an environment where occasionally let's say maternity leave could be looked as time off and I'm really trying to be I am censoring myself so anybody who knows me knows that I'm really I am censoring myself a little bit here because it's 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 really it's shocking to be honest how we are in what year are we in now 2000 2021 there's so many aspects of science and then if we want to be more specific academia is Mm. trapped in I don't know whether it's the 1920s the 1800s you know just so trapped in 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 the past 
you know, and it's almost like certain narratives are just that it's improving. There are things that are improving, you know, but there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But I feel that institutes are more open to having those conversations now. And I think like the work you're doing with the UKRI, Mm. you know, the fact that you're working with them on that level says a lot and actually makes me feel a little bit more, not a little bit, a lot more hopeful uh, about the future. I think that's really good work that you're doing. I think the hope is there. I just want it to go faster. You see, I don't want to say again, (laughs) we need it to speed up. Why do you think it doesn't move as fast? I think there's lots of different factors. So there's the systems and processes that are there right now that need to change, you know, the flexibility of working. So it's very difficult unless you start a job full time and renegotiate it. They're not advertised as standard as flexible working. That there are things that really need to happen that will make things easier for everybody, like systems processes and in order to do that we've then got to think about the culture of the workplace as well so we've got this highly hierarchical competitive environment that does not currently support mothers in particular or women minority groups in stem in any capacity so the culture has to shift but in order for the culture to shift individuals have to feel resourced enough to be able to fight for it and if we're all bogged down in too much work working all the time too busy working in our careers, not working on them, not able to even see beyond that, none of that stuff's going to change. That's why I believe that coaching at the individual level is critical to resource people enough to care, to care, to do, to do all the work that needs to be done, to care, to change all the rest for everybody else. And I think it really hit home for me with having my final, final, because it's final, really hits home for me because I think how is everything going to play out for her? I feel like I really need to make a change for her life and for her to have a better run of it and everybody else to come through. And then equally, I'm looking at my my little men, my little boys thinking, and how can they support that as well in that process? How can they be allies of all of this happening? As a coach, you also run workshops as well. And then there's a challenge that's coming up, the five-day career planning challenge. Tell us about that. I have not run that for ages, actually. So the last time I did that was January 2019. So it's been a while because the pandemic took hold and then I just got super busy. But I like running these challenges because it gives people a breakdown, basically, what I would do over a three-month period with someone and break it down into what would be the very first steps in that process and allow people to go through it in order to move forward, make decisions about their career, in a very short space of time for free. So I get to work with loads of people I wouldn't normally get to work. They get a flavor for how it will work and they get sort of a lot of big impact from that week. So we have a mini five to 10 minute video in the morning and a little action step to take. And then you get a Q and A thread to ask, ask all your questions about career, about life, put them in the chat box, what um, the Q and A thread. And then in the evenings, I just, spend a whole hour answering all the questions so by the end of the week you'll have some really good clarity over career direction purposeful career direction and all your personal questions answered as well so it's a really like high impact high energy good fun week and worth spending actually spending time on that's the thing we sign up for these things and then don't do them so so i usually get a good a good turnout actually for those 
So I hope, I hope all of you, if that's of interest, career and confidence to join one of those challenges. Well, I'll definitely be joining and it'll be great to make sure Monday Science can promote and support and, and get everybody on board for it. It's, it. Yeah, no, definitely. I would love to be able to support that. But just before we round off, you also have a podcast. Let's talk about Ooh. podcasts. So how did, how long have you had yours for? When did it start? What's the name? Tell us everything. Okay. It's called Women in STEM Career and Confidence. Who knew the title, the name is in the title. I launched it in January of this year. It was kind of like a new year, just have to launch it now. It's got over 12,000 downloads so far. And I usually record it live on my Facebook business page. And then it gets converted into like a proper a proper podcast. However, it's recorded live. So I'll be, I usually go and do exercise in the morning. So I'll go do my exercise and either halfway around a mountain bike ride or just after a swim set, whatever it is, I'll record it. So it's very much rough and ready in terms of it's not pre-rehearsed in any way. It's usually, I have themes, but it's usually downloads of thoughts that and processes and tools and techniques you can use. And whatever really is coming up for my clients or me in that week, we'll talk about those things. And things like how to deal with preempting catastrophizing ruminating upon things or how to think about life purpose or even include that in a in a plan so just things like that but yes it's, they're usually between five to ten minutes long so they're really short snippets you don't need a long time you don't need to sit there for hours on end to enjoy the podcast so really short and I think we're on episode 90 now so I've been been you know steadily working away at them each week and I also have another series called inspiring stories where I get people on to also talk about their experiences a bit like what you're doing here so we'll have to have you on the inspiring that would be amazing (laughs) thank you that would be amazing I did what when you talk about uh, running there was a few episodes where I'd like I'd gone for a workout and then I came yeah. to record and I was like hello everyone how do you just even because I, I like how do you even just try and keep the focus because I was so breathless I actually had to pause halfway through I was like, I'm so sorry I did have one where I was walking too fast and then I, I had to actually stop because I couldn't breathe and think and walk at the same it's just time well done for getting close to 12,000 downloads so far I mean it's amazing it's really really good fun I just enjoy it what do you enjoy about you know podcasting Well, I'm not great at, you know, some people are really great at journaling and I'd love to be great at journaling, reflecting and processing thoughts, but I'm not very good at doing that. So the podcast is a way for me to kind of process things that are going on in my own mind, things I'm thinking about. And it's a way for me to do that reflection time in a way that can also help other people in the process too. So it's kind of my cheats way out of journaling all the time. I do... I do write as well once a week. I have coffee and notes, which is my weekly like newsletter thing, stories, thoughts that are going on. So I do write once, but this is more of a frequent kind of download of thoughts. And I'll be talking. And there was once when I had been mountain biking and I stopped. I was just in front of a field. And by the time I finished, there was like 20 sheep behind me all all going I'm like the sheep whisperer wherever I go that attracted to me I love it I need to see the sheep or or listen and then you've got the video on your Facebook yeah last 
two, three interviews have been with people who have either started a podcast, have podcasts or started YouTube channels recently. It's interesting to see how people create their own platforms. And I feel that that's so empowering. And I know definitely for me as a woman, as a Black woman, creating my own platform and creating my own table has been one of the most empowering things I have done in the last you know, couple of years or whatever. And, and I'm not saying everybody should go and start a podcast, but I definitely think that we, if we could learn anything from this last year is that you can create your own platform as well. You don't always have to ask for a seat on the table, the special table. You can say, do you know what? I'll create my own table. Might be small initially, but I can invite others and <laughs> things like that. Um, I love because people always talk about, you know, being a thought leader and it sounds so scary, but actually it's just about sharing your opinion on something. Exactly. And whether that's Twitter, whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn or a podcast, it's a way of your developing your own thought leadership but also you get visible and lots of opportunities come as a result of that. they don't know about you they don't know about you so definitely um, I'm going to challenge myself inspired by just what you said I'm going to challenge myself to try and do a live I don't know I like cats but they run away from me but I, have, <laughs> I always talk to but I try and say hello to the cats but I do like dogs a lot and I usually talk to the dogs not the owners and then the owners are like oh hi excuse me we're in a conversation, but uh, I'm going to challenge myself to try and do some form of live or something in an unstructured environment and just see what happens. Yeah. So watch out. Watch out. That sounds a bit threatening. <laughs> watch out. But yeah, that's really inspiring because I, I do just off the back of some of the things you've, you've said, you know, one of the biggest challenges I think for any person is to feel the fear and do it anyway you know, whatever it is that is making you nervous, making you feel, you know, lack of confidence, anything like that. Sometimes you just have to feel the fear and do it anyway and take it from there. So. I love that book, Susan. Uh, Susan and Jeffers. That, Susan Jeffers. It's a beautiful book. It's a, really, a really strong message. So I'll be looking forward to you taking up that challenge. Accountability, isn't that the other thing as well? Do you identify as a chemist? And yeah, if so, what does chemistry mean to you in this whole, in your whole career? What has chemistry meant to you? Yes, I still, I don't, I think once a scientist, always a scientist. So when people are talking, I'm always like, and what's the evidence for that? And what's the, whenever I'm doing coaching, I'm always like evidence-based. I'm thinking, what's the research behind this technique or this tool and making sure that it's, it's all evidence-based. But chemistry to me is really about, say you have copper and you have um, sulfuric acid and you make copper sulfate you can have copper and you can have a different compound and make something completely different I really love that about chemistry and it's still the same for me now I can change I can have the same person and I can change my behavior and I can get a different result it's exactly the same whatever you apply it to so I love chemistry for the fact that it is all about properties and changing things and the makeup of things and it applies to so many different topic areas for me so absolutely love chemistry still in my heart and I still feel like I'm practicing it now and particularly the way that I analyze situations and break things down I think it's a really strong element of my coaching and I think that's come from being a scientist. Amazing. Thank you so much, Hannah, Dr. Hannah Roberts. And so if you just leave us with your key take-home messages from our discussion today. Key take-home message. Hmm. This is really challenging. I need like, I need a moment for this. <laughs> I think it, the really thing that struck for me was when we were talking about having a family and it being compatible with, with being a scientist. And I really want people to understand that it, it can be. It absolutely can be. And 
even though we have all these experiences and people telling us X, Y, Z, if we set, if we feel confident in ourselves, our choices, we set and maintain boundaries, we can absolutely do it. And it's not to be deterred. It's not that it's incompatible. It's just that we've been given a bad run of things, but we can, we can sort that out. So thank you. Really appreciated all of your comments today as well. You've been listening to the Monday Science Podcast, a weekly show bringing you the latest research and news in science, technology, medicine, and health. We hope you've gotten some useful and thought-provoking info from the show, and we hope you had fun along the way. We know we did. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on our website at www.mondaysciencepodcast.com. Shoot us an email at info at mondaysciencepodcast.com. Find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Monday Science. And access episode summaries at mondayscience.medium.com. See you next week on the Monday Science Podcast.